Have you ever prayed for physical healing? Asking God to set you free from some kind of significant ailment? I have. And on one occasion when I prayed for physical healing, God said yes. And he took away my affliction. And on another occasion when I prayed, God's answer was no. And I was not healed. And I don't know about you, but I love it when God does what I want. It's really nice when he gives me what I ask for. But let's face it, it can be really hard for us sometimes when we pray and it seems like heaven is silent. And when God does not do what we ask. And in those moments, there can be for us a real struggle. And particularly when we pray and ask for healing. I find that there are times when some people think that it's a matter of getting just the right words. They think that there's some formula that we need to employ in order to get God to say yes and to heal us. Or maybe if God's answer is no, we just doubt And we find ourselves wondering if God really even cares for us. I think it's natural to have questions. I think it's normal to have doubts. And we need to accept this fact. This side of heaven, we simply will not know and understand all of the reasons why God chooses to act in some situations and not in others. However, in the case of healing, I think part of the answer is that we misunderstand. I think part of the answer lies in gaining a correct understanding of what it actually means to be sick. And therefore, what it means to be healed. In the book of James, we find a short passage that offers some profound teaching about prayer, particularly in relationship to sickness and healing. And as we're going to see Praying for healing is not about learning the right words. It's not about mastering the right techniques. It's not even really about whether or not we have enough faith. What really matters is approaching God and approaching His people with the right attitudes. And when we allow God to work through our attitudes, when we come to Him with changed attitudes, that is when He can truly heal us and make us whole. So let's take a look together at the book of James, chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. In the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This spiritual advice was written by James, the brother of Jesus. 
Now, now early on, James was pretty skeptical about his older brother, and I think we can understand that. I mean, it wouldn't be easy to accept the fact that someone who grew up in your home, someone who you played with as a child, actually was God in the flesh. And yet, after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, James became a staunch believer. He became a significant leader in the early church. And he grew into a man of faith. And a man who understood that faith was not simply intellectual. It was not simply belief. Faith was about action. And in this short passage, James clearly sees prayer as an active way to express our faith. And he's not just talking theory here. He lived what he writes about. James was described this way by one of his contemporaries. His knees grew hard like those of a camel because of his constant worship of God, because of his kneeling and asking forgiveness for the people. James was active in prayer. And here in this passage, he shows us that for prayer to be meaningful and to truly bring about healing, we need to develop an attitude of trust that puts God into the very center of our lives. So let's zero in now on verses 13 and 14. And what we see here in the verses that I've highlighted is James asks three questions and he provides three specific answers that point us in the direction of trust. He wants us to know that whether we're happy or sad, whether we're sick or struggling or well, our first recourse in every area of life should be to turn toward God, either with prayer or praise. You see, it's when we're looking for God continually. It's when we're seeking Him out consistently. That's when we display that we truly trust Him. And so, for example, James says here, if you're in trouble, pray. Now, is that what we actually do? Do we pray first? Or do we tend to rely on our own wisdom to deal with the difficult problems of life? It's so easy to make that our default behavior. We try to solve problems on our own, and then we may turn to God as an afterthought when our plans don't work out. But when we're in trouble, and we pray and ask God for wisdom, then we tend to respond to our problems differently. When we ask God for wisdom, that's when we often gain new insights and come up with different kinds of answers. And that same principle applies not just to problems, but also to sickness. So when you and I are sick, do we pray first? Or do we first take medicine and call the doctor? When God occupies first place in our lives, then we're going to pray before we take action. We're going to demonstrate our trust that God is going to guide us and that he's going to guide those who help us. And we need to pray about the afflictions that we deal with because sometimes God uses them to get our attention. And we pay a price if we ignore him. 
That's the story of King Asa of Israel. Asa was a man who often listened to God, but, but in the latter part of life, he started to trust himself more. And as a result, he turned away from God, and God said, I'm going to withhold my blessing because you're not listening to me. That's loving discipline. And rather than respond to that loving discipline by turning back to God, Asa became angry and bitter. The book of 2 Chronicles chapter 16 records the end of Asa's life, the last years. And we learn that toward the end of his life, he was afflicted with a severe disease in his feet. And here's how he responded. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Asa lived two more years, and he died a bitter and angry man, unreconciled to God. And his story is a tragic reminder that when we are afflicted in our bodies, we need to go to God as well as to our doctors. God is our creator, so he knows us intimately, and he's the great physician, and he knows what is best not just for our bodies, but for our minds and our hearts and our souls. The question is this, do we trust him? Will we trust him more than we trust ourselves? Will we trust him more than we trust the resources of our world? I think sometimes, sometimes the reason God says no to some of our requests is that he doesn't occupy first place in our lives. God does not want us to treat him like the court of last resort. So I see James telling us here that prayer can become a source of healing when it flows out of a life of trust, a life where God is at the center and we are turning to him and looking to him and praying to him and praising him throughout all of the major moments of life. And then when we trust God, then we can respond with humility to the leaders that he's established in his church and we can respond with humility to each other. And humility changes the way that we pray. I want us to look at the text from a a different perspective now and see how James urges us to adopt an attitude of humility in verses 14 through 16. If you look at those verses that I've highlighted, they zero in on a key issue. You see, I think we often miss the heart of this passage because we read the words sick and well, and we immediately think of physical illness. But I think James is making a much broader point. And that's because in the original Greek text, that word translated well literally means saved or delivered. And that word often is used to refer to deliverance from problems that are not just physical in nature. They also can be mental or emotional or spiritual in nature. So I think James is talking about a broad range of sickness. 
with a particular emphasis on the spiritual dimension of life. That's why he talks about sin and forgiveness and confession. He's talking about your need and my need to be healed from the sicknesses that can pervade our minds and our hearts and our souls, as well as the illnesses that can ravage our bodies. And the fact is, all of these different kinds of sicknesses are interconnected. We know that stress and anxiety don't just affect our minds and emotions. Those things show up in our bodies as ulcers and headaches and skin conditions and heart conditions. I mentioned before that back in the 1950s, two cardiologists coined the term hurry sickness. And they realized that the root cause of the heart problems experienced by many of their patients was not disease. The problem was the stress of living an overcommitted, overanxious life. These two physicians understood that we need to be healed from more than just physical problems. And when we realize the the broad nature of sickness that James is addressing, it highlights the broad nature of healing that God can provide. It lets us know that God cares about us, not just the physical shell in which we happen to live. And I find it so heartwarming and encouraging that from the perspective of our Heavenly Father, The wholeness of our person is so much more important than the wholeness of our body. God wants to make us whole. And he wants to heal us, as James says here. There's no perhaps, there's no maybe. He says God is going to deliver us. It just may not be in the way that we want or hope or expect. God might have a different way of healing us in mind. But since we know that he can heal and since we know that he will heal, then we can approach him with confidence, but not with arrogance. We can't demand that he perform according to our expectations. Instead, we need to approach him with humility. In fact, James urges us to be humble enough to not just talk to God about our sicknesses, but also to other members of God's family. He says there are times when we should approach the elders of the church and ask them to pray for us because we're experiencing some kind of sickness. And there are times when we should seek out other Christians that we know and trust and ask them to pray for us. And that's not always easy to do. It takes some humility Particularly because James says these interactions with other believers should involve not just prayer, but confession. And that means a willingness to tell another Christian that we're struggling with a sickness. And it might be anger, or pride, or honesty, or lust. We need to confess these kinds of sicknesses of the heart and the soul and invite others to pray for us. Confession is vital because confession is the pathway to forgiveness and healing. I believe that's what James is saying here. 
Dr. David Levy is a Christian neurosurgeon, and a number of years ago, he started praying with and praying for his, his patients. And he writes, When I first began praying for patients, <clears throat> I had no idea that it would lead me to discover the power of forgiveness. I am now convinced that one of the greatest thieves of joy and health is the unwillingness to forgive the people who have hurt us. And so in Dr. Levy, we have another physician who understands that health and healing involves far more than just our bodies. It supports what James is saying here, that there is great healing power when you and I can be humble enough to confess our various sicknesses to one another. One of the very special times of worship that we have here at Garden Way each year is our Good Friday service. It is a rich time when we come together to sing and to pray and to reflect on the incredible forgiveness that we are able to receive because Jesus chose to go to the cross. And often during that Good Friday service, we take communion in a little different way. We'll have the elements up here on the communion table, and we will participate in communion by coming forward and picking up those elements and praying over them as we partake. And a few years ago, we added something different. We had an elder standing nearby down front, and we offered this invitation to the congregation. As you come forward tonight to receive communion, Maybe there's some part of your life where you're broken and hurting and you need healing. And if so, the elders are here to pray with you and to pray for you. You can just walk over to one of them, briefly explain your problem, and they will pray and ask God to be at work in your life. And as we took communion, as I watched people come forward, all kinds of emotions started to well up within me because I desperately needed prayer that night. I was still hurting over some very real injustices that I had experienced at our last church. I was angry towards some people who I felt had betrayed me. And I knew I needed to forgive them, but I didn't want to, because I was at a point where it felt really good to nurse my hurt and anger. I'll bet you know what that's like, don't you? But I wasn't just struggling with that, I was struggling with my pride. Because I didn't want to have to walk up to an elder in front of the whole church and receive prayer. I didn't want to look imperfect in front of the congregation. And as I was praying in the back there, God's spirit got through to me and nudged me. More like a kick in the pants. Dick Beswick happened to be standing down here. Could have been any one of the elders, but it happened to be Dick. And I walked up to Dick and I confessed what I was thinking and feeling. And Dick graciously prayed with me and prayed for me. He prayed without judgment, without arrogance. He prayed with tenderness and concern. He prayed the way a shepherd should pray for a member of the flock. And I cannot begin to tell you how much freedom I began to feel in that moment. There was release and there was healing because I was able to let go of my anger and my bitterness.
our elders, all of them are wonderful men of prayer, but there's nothing magical about their prayers. The power of that moment came as a result of my willingness to let go of my pride and to adopt an attitude of humility. I humbly confessed my spiritual attitudes, my spiritual sickness to an elder, a brother in God's family, and he in turn prayed for me with a humble and gracious spirit. That's where the power lies, and in that moment, a broken area of my life was made whole. I was healed. I was delivered. I think that's exactly the kind of thing that James is talking about here in this passage. Praying with and for one another, confessing our sins to one one another can lead to incredibly powerful moments of healing. Now there's another interesting element that James adds here. It's the issue of anointing. Anointing with oil. And he's telling us that there are situations, maybe it's a really severe sickness of the body or soul, when it's appropriate for us to approach an elder and ask not just for prayer, but for prayer and anointing. And and by the way, as a little side note, did you notice that James puts the responsibility on us to take the initiative? We have to approach the elders. It's not their job to hunt us up. We have to be humble enough and trust God enough and trust the leaders that he's put in place enough to go to them and say, I have an illness in part of my life and I want the elders to pray over me and anoint me with oil. The ball is in our court. And now when we think about anointing with oil, some people view this as some kind of archaic practice. But when we understand its meaning, then it actually can have tremendous value as an adjunct to our prayers of faith. Back in the time of the Bible, uh, oil often was used for healing. This was an age when there were no pharmaceutical excuse me, pharmaceutical medicines. And so various types of oils were used to clean wounds and to treat skin diseases and to soothe aches and pains. And even today, we know that what are called essential oils can have some therapeutic value when applied to our bodies. And God created these oils and he placed them in our world for our benefit. And so oil has some practical purposes, but I think... I think it has a more profound spiritual purpose in the kingdom of God. Oil is a physical sign of God's spiritual work, his power that produces healing. When Jesus sent out his first disciples, they anointed people with oil as they prayed for them, and many people were set free from their physical and spiritual ailments. Anointing also is a sign of being set apart for the Lord. In the Bible, we see leaders being anointed. We see special places being anointed. It's a mark that that place or that person has been dedicated to God. And so whenever we choose to submit to anointing, we're saying, God, I'm yielding to you and to your purposes. I'm opening myself up for you to heal me in whatever way you want to do so. Asking the elders to pray for us and anoint us with oil is a humble act. A humble act of trust in them and in 
our God. And so whenever we find ourselves seriously sick in our minds, in our relationships, in our bodies, or in our souls, let's be humble enough to approach our elders and ask to receive anointing and prayer. And to make sure that this happens, I want to make sure everybody knows just who the elders are. Ed, Tim, Norm, Dick, and Randy. These are the men that God has entrusted to watch over this flock. These are men of prayer, and they pray for all of us regularly. They make themselves available to pray with us at the end of our services over here in the prayer corner. And they are willing to pray with us and anoint us and ask God to bring significant healing into our lives. We just need to be humble enough to ask. That's the key. I know a man named Brian who asked the elders of his church to pray over him and to anoint him with oil, and he was transformed by that experience. Brian was a Christian but he was filled with pride. And as a result of his pride, he had hurt many, many people with his critical comments and his judgmental attitude. And then he became seriously ill. He approached the elders of his church and asked them to pray for him and anoint him. And in his church, those requests were honored in the midst of the worship service. In front of the congregation, the elders would anoint people with oil and pray for them. And so Brian, this very prideful man, had to humble himself. He stood in front of the church, acknowledging the weakness in his body. And the elders anointed him and prayed for him to be healed. But here's where the most dramatic things began to happen. Because as they finished, the very first thing Brian did was publicly express his desire to be forgiven by the people in the church that he had hurt. In other words, as a result of this anointing prayer, he realized that he was sick with pride. He was sick with broken relationships. And so he followed James's teaching here and he confessed his sins he wanted to experience the healing power of reconciliation the healing power of forgiveness and he realized that this was far more important than the healing of his body God met him in that moment and began the process of delivering him and as it turns out Brian was not healed from his physical illness He lived another 18 months. And during that time, he was healed from his emotional and relational sickness. He became much more healthy as a person as his pride melted away and as it was replaced by graciousness and humility. And as Brian changed, the church watching all of this changed. Watching him lay aside his pride, watching him humbly submit to being prayed over and anointed and seeing the results, seeing the healing that took place transform the way that church thought about sickness and prayer and healing. 
they learned that God's greatest concern is for us far more than just our bodies. And when Brian died, they realized that God doesn't always heal people physically in this life. It was a reminder that we're all going to die. And there's an ultimate perfect healing that awaits in the next life. In this life, what God wants us to do is follow the advice that He's given us through James. He wants us to pray knowing, knowing with confidence that God longs to heal us. He wants us to pray with and for each other. He wants us to pray with an attitude of trust and humility. And then having prayed, we let our Heavenly Father show us how He wants to heal us. And when we pray with trust and humility, He will heal us.